Good. Okay. Uh, this has got nothing to do with anything, but we had an absolutely lovely time, didn't we, last week at the Treetops Hotel. So brilliant. And yet I can't help thinking to myself, I'm so glad we don't do that every week. Uh, and, you know, I've, I've literally no idea, looking out at you this morning, I've no idea which of you were there and which of you weren't, because it's really difficult, isn't it, in a bigger number. How brilliant of God to have designed our church in the way that he has so that we meet in smaller groups all over the region rather than in one big group and how brilliant of him to rescue us from buying a big warehouse or a casino so anyway this is nothing to do with anything but I'm just so glad to be looking out at you and seeing your faces and all of that it's fantastic uh, I feel like we should be doing something we should be praying that's what we should be doing let's pray And the truth is, Lord, sometimes when we come to your word and, and uh, we listen to sermons, we're engaged and sometimes we've accidentally or on purpose checked out. And we don't want to miss anything this morning, Lord. And I pray, God, that you would lead me to say things that I haven't planned to say, even words or phrases that would make sense to people in the room. And I pray that you would just help each of us to receive your word to us. And we choose to engage. We choose to uh, almost like uh, sit on the edge of our seats to, to hear you, God. We lean forward. Our posture is receiving from you. Amen. Amen. And hopefully, just at this moment, we're joined by the good people of Stonehaven. We should give them a cheer and a wave. Hello. Uh, and also in Ellen. Hello, hello. And also in St. Macca this morning. So there you go. Uh, it's, uh, it's, it's, it'll always be a funny thing that we do, this whole video thing. But hopefully, if you're joining us by video link, you're able to see me without stopping. So there you go. Um, we are continuing our series in the book of 1 Corinthians, which we've been doing, I don't know, for several months. Um, there's been some challenging bits and some hard to understand bits in 1 Corinthians, and I'm just glad that I didn't put myself to, down to preach on any of those weeks. And now we've uh, arrived at 1 Corinthians chapter 14. And we've got to a bit, I mean, the Apostle Paul, as we've already seen, is really angry or, or maybe devastated would be a better word. He's just so disappointed at the fact that the church that he planted in Corinth, that presumably he left in rude health, is now uh, um, falling apart at the seams and doing all kinds of things badly. And so he's correcting them on a whole bunch of different things. And in particular today, he's, he's correcting them uh, on the use and misuse of two spiritual gifts, two, two supernatural spiritual gifts. One of them is the gift of prophecy, and the other one is the gift of tongues. And uh, in, in some ways, I could have sort of looked at either of those two or both of them, but I just felt like the Lord saying that maybe we should take some time today to look at what does the Apostle Paul and the New Testament teach on the subject of praying in tongues. And partly the reason for that is because I think that probably lots of us are confused about the gift of tongues or frustrated or afraid or you know, there's a bunch of emotions, a bunch of baggage that comes with that, even that, that phrase, speaking in tongues, that you think, actually, I don't know what I really think about that stuff. And so we're kind of going to go there for your benefit in some ways. As well as the fact that I just realized 
The last time we looked at this subject was two and a half years ago, and for many people, you've joined since then. Uh, some of you have joined from no church background whatsoever. Uh, some of you have joined from a church where speaking in tongues isn't really talked about very much. And so it just felt like the right thing to do. So I hope that's all right. Um, what we're going to do is we're going to go fairly deep, and we're going to try and be as biblical as we possibly can. So what, what we're really doing is we're saying, if we had never experienced any of this stuff, if we had no idea... Uh, you know, we, we'd never seen it practiced before. We, 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 we were coming from a position of no knowledge. And all we had was this. All we had was the text of the New Testament. Where would we land? And, and what would we start to do? And what would we start to not do as a result? And so um, hopefully as, you, uh, as we go through, something will be helpful for all of us. Um, it's funny, actually, when I was typing out the thing, praying in tongues, I, I must have done a mistype because it corrected it to, to uh, praying in fondue, which is maybe it's just a, that's a whole other thing. We don't have time to cover the praying in fondue section of the Bible today, but there you go. I vividly remember the day when my best friend who'd led me to Jesus uh, and, and helped me to become a Christian, he told me that he had started speaking in tongues. And my immediate response to that news was, oh dear, you poor chap. You know, uh, and, and part of the reason for that was because uh, everything I knew about speaking in tongues had come from old in episodes of Inspector Morse and EastEnders, where, you know, fanatical, lunatic Christians who have completely lost the plot and are just moments away from the men in white coats appearing, they speak in tongues, and that was all I knew. And so I said to him what all self-respecting people would say in that moment. I said to him, well, go on then. <laughs> Let's see it. Go on, off you go. And he did. He, he started speaking in tongues. And I knew a few things in that moment. Number one, I knew he's, he's not mad. Number two, I knew he's not making it up. This, this is actually something that he is now able to do that he couldn't do before. And number three, I knew that there was something about God in what he was doing. And I want to suggest this morning and take you through, in a sense, what the teaching of Scripture is to, to get us to the point where we acknowledge that this whole thing about speaking in tongues is not a, uh, something for the lunatic fringe or, or people, something for advanced Christians once they've progressed through the, you know, the higher echelons of spirituality. But it's just a normal thing for us as Christians uh, to be able to help us. So that's where we're going. So 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and we're going to be reading from verse 1. Let me just give a very little bit of background. So, um, Paul is gutted because, and Taryn did a great job at just communicating this the other week, but he, he planted a church, it was healthy, there were good relationships, uh, people were being honoured, people were being included, but over time, the haves started to get all the power, and the have-nots started to be marginalized in different ways. And so there was, uh, the church was full of division. It was full of people trying to get one over on their brothers and sisters. Uh, and it was expressed in all kinds of different ways. Um, 
one of the main examples would be how they took communion, right? So, so uh, the people who already had come to church pretty much full up and already maybe slightly overweight, you know, they, they were ripping great big chunks of bread and stuffing it down and then gulping down all the wine. And then the people who were coming already starving and already desperate, uh, there was nothing left for them. And it was so humiliating. And Paul is absolutely furious about that. But the other example of how this thing had all break, broken down is their use and abuse of the gift of tongues. And what seems to be happening, as we read, you'll see it, is that, that some people were going, oh, look at me, look how impressive I am, look at my gift of tongues. And they would stand up and they would speak in tongues for ages and ages, and then somebody else would go, nah, that was rubbish, I, just watch this, I can do loads better than that. And then they would stand up and they would speak in tongues for a bit, and then somebody else would go, ah, oh, you call that the gift of tongues, I'll show you the gift of tongues, and then they'd do that for a bit. And so the net result of that was that that their services were completely unintelligible to visitors. You know, they were coming in and they were like, I have no idea. These people are all off their heads. Like, this makes no sense whatsoever. And they were walking out more confused about the gospel when they came, than when they came in. And Paul is furious about that. So let's just read 1 Corinthians 14. I'm going to read from verse 1. Follow the way of love and eagerly desire gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. For anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to people, but to God. Indeed, no one understands them. They utter mysteries by the Spirit. But the one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouraging, and comfort. Anyone who speaks in a tongue edifies themselves, but the one who prophesies edifies the church. I would like every one of you to speak in tongues. That's an interesting sentence, isn't it? I would like every one of you to speak in tongues, but I would rather have you prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets, so that the church may be edified. And then just for the sake of brevity, I'm going to skip down to verse 13, I think it is. For this reason, the one who speaks in a tongue should pray that they may interpret what they say. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. So what shall I do? I'll pray with my spirit, but I'll also pray with my understanding. I'll sing with my spirit, but I'll also sing with my understanding. Otherwise, when you're praising God in the spirit, how can someone else who is now put in the position of an inquirer say amen to your thanksgiving, since they don't know what you're saying? You are giving thanks well enough but no one else is edified. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you, but in the church, I'd rather speak five intelligible words to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. Amen. Okay, so first of all, before we look really in depth at this text, let's just lay some foundations in general about speaking in tongues. The first thing is, the gift of speaking in tongues does not make you a superior Christian. 
Taryn and I, and Mark actually in our office, we've, we've got these phones, and fairly new phones. They, we really like them, right? They've got a bigger screen than normal, and you can swipe and tap away to your heart's content. You can even make phone calls with them, you know, and, and we're really pleased with them. The thing is, though, this week we were down in London, Taryn and I, with a bunch of other church leaders from around the UK, and everyone else had an iPhone. And ours isn't an iPhone. And you know when you're really pleased with something and you're like, this is quite good. And then you see it and, and everyone was taking the mic and saying, oh, shame you haven't got an iPhone and all of that. And you just feel like, you know, I'm a second class person. Uh, it's easy to feel like that when it comes to being a Christian, isn't it? I'm a second class Christian. You know, often we look around and we think, Everyone else seems to be getting on with this Christian thing better than I am. Everyone else seems to find this slightly easier than I am. It seems to come in a more straightforward way, or everyone seems to have reached a level of maturity that I can't seem to get to. And we easily put ourselves into the position of feeling second class. And the truth is that, the, in particular, the Apostle Paul is so desperate, always, always, to say, there is no such thing as a second-class Christian. There is no such thing. Thinking about places like the book of Galatians, where he says, there is no Jew or Gentile. There is no slave or free. There is no male or female. Everyone is one in Christ Jesus. We are all the same. And often he's fighting this um, Gnosticism thing, which is all about, you know, some people have the secret, or some people have the key. And other people, well, we just don't have the key. He's always fighting it. He wants us to know there is no such thing as, you know, a, a first class and second class when it comes to being a Christian. And especially with the gift of tongues, we so often, in my experience, just talking about this stuff with a whole bunch of people over the years, so often we place ourselves in the category of, oh, I don't have the gift of tongues. And so I feel unworthy, or I feel like I haven't made it, or there's something wrong with me, or I, I, I haven't deserved it yet. Which is all obviously utter nonsense. And so what you see in all of the New Testament um, texts about spiritual gifts, you see two things. First of all, there are a couple of places where he's speaking about these lists of gifts of the Spirit, where he doesn't even mention speaking in tongues. I'm thinking about Ephesians chapter 4 and Romans 12. He speaks about all these other spiritual gifts. He doesn't even mention the gift of tongues. And then there are these two lists of spiritual gifts in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, just a couple of chapters before this, where he's speaking about all kinds of spiritual gifts, and it takes him ages to get to the gift of tongues. So, you know, he's speaking about the gift of faith and the gift of miracles and the gift of helping people, and the gift of teaching. And it's like, oh, and by the way, there's the gift of tongues. It takes him ages to get there. I really think that if he was speaking to us today, he would be saying, do not get hung up about the gift of speaking in tongues. Do not get hung up about it. Do not put yourself in a category. Just be a Christian. The second thing is, the gift of speaking in tongues... I think, may not be given to everyone. And I know there's a slightly contentious view and not every Bible-believing Christian would believe the same thing, but I'm getting that from the end of 1 Corinthians chapter 12, where Paul asks a series of rhetorical questions, and he's expecting the answer to each question to be no. 
So he says, is everyone an apostle? I don't know whether you've ever asked that question. I, I don't know if I have, but is everyone an apostle? Cle clearly the answer to the question, is everyone an apostle, is no. Of course everyone isn't an apostle. And then he says, is everyone a prophet? And clearly the answer is, well, no, not everyone's a prophet. And then he goes on, he says, do all work miracles? Do all have gifts of healing? Is everyone a teacher? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? And clearly what he's expecting us to say is, no, not everyone speaks in tongues. I think that's the, the right line to take. He's, he's not expecting every Christian to speak in tongues. However, I think it's also true to say that he's expecting it to be a very common gift. So it's not the kind of thing where it's like, if you want to meet someone who speaks in tongues, then you have to go to the middle of the Amazon jungle and there's a particular mountain there. And if you climb up the mountain on the second Thursday of February on a lunar leap year, if, if there is such a thing, then you might meet the one person on the face of the earth who speaks in tongues. That's probably not how it is. It, it seems like from the texts throughout the New Testament that he's expecting it to be something that a lot of people do. And so it's not a particularly special thing in that sense. I'm getting that from the fact that twice he says, eagerly desire spiritual gifts. And then in 1 Corinthians 14 verse 5, he says, I'd like every one of you to speak in tongues. Just that sense of, you know, probably lots of us would be doing that. Finally, just as a foundation, I, I want to say, I don't think the gift of tongues is from that other place by which I'm referring to, you know, the pit of burning sulfur, you know, the, the, the place with all, where it's really hot underfoot, you know. I, I, there'll be a whole bunch of us, I'm sure, in our church, whether you're here or at one of our other sites, and you've been brought up in a church where they say something like, do you know, the gift of tongues may or may not be dangerous, so it's just best to avoid it. I remember somebody saying to me once, well, when you speak in tongues, it's like you're stepping away from the keyboard of your soul and you're allowing somebody else to just type away on the keyboard. Now, that doesn't sound like a very good idea, does it? And I was thinking, you're right. That doesn't sound like a very good idea. Um, yeah. If Paul is writing, particularly here in Corinth, Corinth is a very dark place. And it's filled with pagan temples. It's a very ritualistic place. You know, most people in that place would have been involved in very dark and probably essentially demonic things. And so all of the people who are coming to faith from those places, they're coming from a very dark religious background. They're coming to faith. They're joining the church. And you would think, wouldn't you, that if Paul was even slightly concerned that the gift of tongues might be dangerous, then in that context in particular, he would be saying to them, look, you know, often I say, yeah, go for it with the gift of tongues, but in your context, I really think I just wouldn't go there. It's a dangerous thing. You, you might be stepping away from the keyboard of your soul. He just doesn't say that. In fact, what he does, which I think would have been absolutely shocking for the people who first read it, he says, I wish every one of you would speak in tongues, even though it's a mess even though it's being abused, even though uh, people are standing up and speaking in tongues all the way through the service and it's complete gibberish to most of the people who are visiting, he still says, hey, don't pull back from that. So I don't think he, he sees it as being a dangerous thing at all and certainly not something that could be demonic. 
He is concerned, of course, that it's all done in a helpful and fitting way, and we'll come on to that in a moment. So, what is the gift of tongues then? What is the gift of tongues, or the gift of uh, praying in tongues? The first thing to say is that it's, a, it's prayer that's directed towards God. Verse 2, For anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. And then later in verse 13 onwards, he uses a bunch of different phrases that he's clearly still speaking about praying in tongues, but he's using different phrases synonymously. So for example, praying with my spirit, or singing with my spirit, or praising God with my spirit. And so uh, the sense is that it's a language that's given to us by God that helps us to speak back to God. It's a language of intimacy. He's giving us a language that we haven't learned or understood before so that we can commune spirit to spirit with God. So in one sense, it's the opposite of prophecy. So prophecy is God speaking through other people to people. So it's kind of downwards in direction, God speaking to us. When we pray in tongues, it's the reverse of that. It's, it's, it's praying towards God. It's a prayer language. It's about intimacy and spirit to spirit connection with God. The second thing we can say is that it's a language that's not learned or understood by the speaker. Supposedly, the average human being has 35,000 words in their vocabulary, unless you're a drummer, in which case it's significantly less, apparently. It's just a little joke. Just a little joke. Just a little joke. Where is he? Bless him. Affirm, affirm. Bless you, drummers. Please don't leave our church. Um, anyway, so, so what happens is when I'm speaking, I'm, uh, I'm not always well, but I'm selecting words out of my 35,000 words, and I'm arranging them into sentences in my brain, and then I'm speaking them out of my mouth. That's how language usually works. We draw on our memory banks, think about the words we know, and then they come out of our mouth in the way that we intend. Sometimes they come out of our mouth in the way that we don't intend, and then our wives are cross with us. But, but... It's clear from the text that, that that's not what's happening here. This is, you know, when you're praying in tongues, you're not selecting words that you know. And you're not arranging them into sentences in your own mind. You have no idea what you're saying. That's why Paul says, For this reason, the one who speaks in a tongue, this is verse 13, the one who speaks in a tongue should pray that they may interpret what they say. So ordinarily, you would not expect to know what you're saying. You're using words and phrases and sentences that you've never learned and that you don't understand. So if I were to stand here and start speaking in French, uh, this is always a treat whenever I do this for our fluent French speakers, uh, um, I might say, bonjour mes amis, and you would know a couple of things from that. The first thing is foreign languages aren't really my thing. Uh, but the second thing you'd know is that I'm using words that I've previously learned at some point in the past. That's not how the gift of tongues works. You don't learn the words. You don't learn the language. You don't learn the grammar. It comes. It's a gift from God. And we don't normally understand what we're saying. And that's because, number three, it's prayer with my spirit, not my mind. Verse 14. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. That's a very uncomfortable sentence, isn't it? In our culture, in our society, where we like using our minds. And God expects us to use our minds. But this is a gift that comes. And when it comes, our mind is unfruitful. That's what the text says. 
but my spirit is connecting with God. It's intimate prayer. It's spirit to spirit. It's heart to heart. That's why so many of us would testify to it being such a precious gift. Because often, for lots of us, our minds are just racing all the time and we're trying to compute things all the time. And to just come to a place of rest where we can rest our minds and we can connect by our spirit to God is such a precious thing. Number four, it's mostly, not only is it not understood by you, but it's mostly not understood by the people around you either. That's why he's so cross with the the Corinthian church, because they're all speaking in tongues, and nobody understands. It sounds like gibberish to everyone. That's why he says, I'd rather you speak five intelligible words than 10,000 in a tongue. There are, of course, exceptions to that, and the, the most obvious one, of course, is the day of Pentecost, isn't it? You know, the, the, the disciples, they're filled with the Spirit. It's a very dramatic experience. They, they flood out onto the street. There are thousands of people out on the street, and as they start to speak in tongues, the, the, the foreign uh, people around and about start going, wow, that's amazing. These people are speaking my language, and they're clearly, like, Rural, not very intelligent, not very well-educated people, and yet they're speaking in my language. That wouldn't normally happen. That's amazing. It's a miracle. And so that happens on the day of Pentecost, and probably it happens a couple, on a couple of other occasions in the book of Acts as well. And you might well... Um, crikey, that's a cough, mate. Uh, uh, pray for him. Uh, you, you, might, you might well uh, have heard of stories about situations like that where somebody has stood up and they've prayed in tongues out loud and then somebody else has said that's amazing that's my language I I know our friend Paul Reed in Belfast uh, tells a story about how one time he was in a church service somebody stood up and they just started speaking out loud in tongues and then the whole back row collapsed into you know just people turning and speaking to each other really quickly and he thought how rude (laughs) what on earth's going on and it turned out that they were all um, Mandarin Chinese and they had understood exactly what he had said. Anyone else heard of a story like that? Anyone else seen something like that happen before? Wow, it's amazing. I'm going to come and speak to you afterwards. Maybe it's in the, if, if you're in one of the other sites and you've got a story, I really want to hear that. But probably what we can see from the New Testament is that that's a rare thing. Because he's clearly saying here, when you speak in tongues, people don't understand. And so he's expecting that the majority of times when people do that, it's not understood by the people around us. Number five, it's under our control. Verse 27, if anyone speaks in a tongue, two or at the most three should speak, one at a time, and someone must interpret. If there's no interpreter, the speaker should keep quiet in the church and speak to himself and to God. So it's clear that the person who's speaking in tongues, is un- they've got control of it. They can choose to start speaking in tongues, because he says one at a time, and then they can choose to not speak in tongues. They should stay quiet. And so it's, uh, for some of us, we think, oh no, I would expect it to be a more ecstatic thing than that, when the Spirit of God comes and suddenly I can't help myself. But I don't think that's what's happening here. I think he's expecting them to be able to control what they're doing. However, that also means that it's, it's something that we have to do. We have to choose to do it. 
You know, for many of us, maybe in the past we've been prayed for to speak in tongues and we've stood there and it's like, no, no, it's not happening, no. And, and it seems to me that probably it's got to be your lips, your teeth, your tongue, your vocal cords, your breath. You choose to do it. You know, I'm thinking about that moment in, in the Gospels where Jesus says to Peter, Jesus is walking on the water, and he says to Peter, come, walk, you know, walk on water, come towards me. And you can imagine Peter standing in the boat going, no, I wanted to come, Jesus. I was ready to be obedient, but it just didn't happen. He was expected to use his walking apparatus to step out of the boat and to start walking on the water. We're expected when we speak in tongues, to use our talking apparatus, our speaking apparatus, and we make the decision about when that happens. The last thing we're going to say is this. It's mostly for personal use. Paul says that uh, he speaks in tongues more than anybody. But when it comes to the gathered church, he'd rather people just spoke in a language that people understood five intelligible words rather than 10,000 in a tongue. And I think what he's hinting at there is in the same way that our prayer life should be like, the, you know, like an iceberg where the, the visible part, the bit that we do in public is a tiny proportion of the hidden part. In the same way, the way that we speak in tongues should be largely a private thing that we should speak in tongues way more in the privacy of our own understairs cupboard or wherever it is that you pray than the amount of time we pray in public. And for me, let me just say, this is where the rubber hits the road for a whole bunch of us, I think. Because when we gather in church, often we'll speak in tongues quietly under our breath or whatever. How many of us spend hours and hours in public, in private, just when it's just us and the Lord, just quietly praying away in tongues, which I think is what Paul's doing. I think it's a massive challenge for a bunch of us to kind of um, refresh our mind and our thinking when it comes to speaking in tongues. Let me just say as well, by the way, you know, there are lots of moments in our church services here and in our other sites where there are maybe gaps in between songs and, you know, the worship leader steps away from the microphone and perhaps we're all just singing out different songs and, and praying out different things. And in that context, it may be that, that you can hear the person next to you singing in tongues or praying in tongues. Um, I think, in, in my mind and in the thinking of the leadership of this church, we're, we're, we're considering that to be a personal use, a personal private use of the gift of tongues. So there may be moments, and there often are moments in our church, where somebody will stand up and they'll pray out loud in tongues in a way that's clearly broadcasting it. It's clearly uh, everyone else is supposed to be listening to that and then looking for an interpretation, and we'll come on to that in a moment. But you know, in the middle of songs, we're all just singing out or praying out at the same time. We consider that to be a personal use and something that's really lovely in that moment just between us and God. So, why would I want the gift of tongues? Now, you may be thinking to yourself, this sounds like a lovely thing and you nutters can carry on. You know, you just go for it, you enjoy it, you derive benefit from it. I'd rather not. Well, a couple of things. Number one, speaking in tongues builds you up. He says in verse 4, he who speaks in a tongue edifies himself. 
And we don't really use that word edify very often, do we? I don't think there'll be many of us who at the end of the service will be saying, do you know, I found that service just so edifying. Did you, were you edified this morning? Oh, yes, very edified. We don't really use that word anymore. It just means to be constructed, to be built up, to be restored. Ha- hands up who doesn't want to be built up on the inside. I can think of a time when I just heard the news that my dad had died and I had about a 20 minute walk to walk between where I was living at the time and where my mum was waiting for me and I mean what do you do in that moment except for pray and so I was walking along the road I can picture myself now just walking along the road and just seeking God and praying in tongues most of the way and I can remember feeling it was like God was pouring in strength into my soul It's easy to feel dislocated, dismembered, you know, feel like life is dismantling us. And the gift of tongues is such a precious gift to start to build back up again on the inside. Secondly, why would I want it? I'd want it because the Apostle Paul, who, you know, is an authoritative voice in my life, recommends it. He says, I would like every one of you to speak in tongues. He says, I speak in tongues more than any of you. If the gift of tongues were just a pain in the neck and a kind of take it or leave it thing, particularly given the circumstances that were happening in the church at that time, he just would have said, there is a thing called the gift of tongues, but I'd just give it a miss if I were you. That's not what he does. He says, I think every one of you, I'd I'd love it if you would speak in tongues. And lastly, it adds a new dimension to your prayer life. And we're just going to skip very briefly back, uh, uh, I don't know, 10 pages to Romans chapter 8, verse 26. Where, again, the Apostle Paul says this, In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes with us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. It's a very difficult passage and there are all kinds of things that that passage might mean. But I love how uh, Wayne Grudem attacks that passage because he's you know, big theological egghead, a world-renowned theologian. And he describes the inter- his interpretation of that passage like this. The Holy Spirit assists our prayers by taking our groans and turning them into effective prayer. And I think for many of us, we would know times where, you know, we just hear on the grapevine that somebody's unwell, and you've no idea what they're unwell with, you've no idea where they are, you've no idea what's happening with them, and you think, well, how do I, how do I pray in that context? It's like, well, let's just pray in tongues. Let's just take our groans and the, the things we don't really have language for and the things that we don't really understand, and let's just bring that to the Spirit of God and just say, God, I'm going to pray in the Spirit, and I'm going to trust that that prayer somehow is coming to God as the prayer that's required for this kind of moment. Often we feel like in our prayer life, if only there was a way of connecting with God in a, in a, in a place of intimacy, if only there was a way of praying the things that God wanted me to pray, if only there was a way of, of just learning a new way of prayer, and I think this is that. Okay, just very briefly, I'm aware that time is just flying by. So let me just touch for two, two minutes on this whole thing about interpreting the gift of tongues. There's a complementary gift 
to the gift of tongues, which is the gift of interpreting tongues. And uh, let's just look at that really briefly. The first thing to say about that is um, it turns unintelligible sounds into a source of blessing. Verse 5. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues unless someone interprets so that the church may be edified. So here's what's happening. This is not a private, inside your prayer closet. This is in the gathered church, just like we are now. And somebody stands up, perhaps it's during the worship or at the end of the worship, and they start to speak in tongues. And in that moment, pretty much none of us understood what's just been said. Until somebody has an interpretation of that tongue until somebody in that moment God says this is what that means and then suddenly it it turns it into a source of blessing It, it it starts to edify the church secondly the first responsibility for interpreting that tongue always lies with the per- person who spoke that tongue in the first place. Verse 13. For this reason, the one who speaks in a tongue should pray that they may interpret what they say. And so it may be that you've stood up on a Sunday. And I hope this happens more, to be honest. You've stood up and it's been an appropriate moment, not in the middle of a talk. You know, it's like, it's not during the turny roundy bit. It's like in a moment that feels like it's the right moment. Somebody stands up and they speak in a tongue. Their next um, responsibility is to, to get on their knees before God and say, God, show me what I just said. What did I just say? Help me to interpret that tongue. And lastly, you would expect the interpretation to sound like a prayer or praise. Remembering what we said earlier on in verse 2, that, that speaking in tongues is speaking to God, not men. I think we would expect that normally when that, that tongue is interpreted, you would expect it to have the sense of, oh God, you know, oh God, you're so wonderful. Oh God, you're, the cross was an incredible thing that you did for us. Oh God. Rather than God says to us, I think we would expect it to be Godward because he says speaking in a tongue is towards God. But again, that may be contentious and I'm not willing to fight over it. Okay, let me just finish by saying this and then we're going to pray for some people. This whole speaking in tongues thing happens to people in all kinds of different ways. And if I was to get 10 people along the stage here and say, just tell us, you speak in tongues, yes I do, how did it happen for you? We would get 10 different answers to that question. You know, some people would say, well, it was, like, it was like a tingling sensation in my lips or my tongue or my throat. And I just, I, 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 the, the only thing I could do was, was to start speaking in tongues to, to stop that from happening. Some people would say, I, it was just in worship. I was just lost in wonder towards God. And suddenly I found myself expressing that in a way that I'd never heard before. For other people, they'll just say, do you know what, it was just obedience. I just thought, this is a faith thing. I'm just going to step out. I'm going to start moving my lips and start making noises and just see what happens. For me, personally, it was something that I, I was hung up on for years. And it used to drive me insane. You know, all the time I'd be saying, this isn't fair. This, you know, everyone else gets this and, and I just can't make this happen. And, and I can remember time and time again, people laying hands on me and praying for me and then saying, right, off you go. And me being like how and then one day I was walking back from the station where, and I'd been away for a couple of days I, I caught, 
came down off the platform, just walking along the road back to my house, and I was praying about a whole bunch of stuff. And then suddenly I felt like I ran out of words to express what it was that I wanted to say to God, and I found myself speaking in tongues under my breath. Nobody else could hear. Um, and, and so, you know, we're going to pray for some people here, and we got, hopefully the other service leaders in the other sites will pray for some people there as well. It, you know, and we're not going to say to you, right, we're going to pray for you, and then off you go. Go on, give it a shot. You're welcome to give it a shot if you want. But my recommendation to you would be, if you feel under pressure, if you've got yourself tied up in knots about it, go for a walk. You know, go to somewhere where nobody can hear anything you say, where you don't feel in the slightest bit self-conscious, and then in that place, just start to speak out and see what happens. That would be my recommendation to you. Don't get hung up if it doesn't happen today. Just seek God. Eagerly desire spiritual gifts, is what the scripture says. And, and so uh, we would just really encourage you to just see what happens, and it'll be different for every one of us. Okay, why don't we stand?